Welcome to the Conversion Tracking Playbook, where we share how to overcome tracking challenges that e-commerce brands face today and real-world examples of transforming data into insights. Welcome back to another episode of the Conversion Tracking Playbook. I'm your host, Brad Redding, and today I have a special episode that I recorded with Andy Gray from the eCommentary podcast. My team loved it. They said we need to replay it on our podcast. I go into details on where Elevar started as an analytics platform and evolved into a tracking platform. I shared very specific details on client-side tracking versus server-side tracking and why or why can't we implement everything server-side. And then I get into the the weeds on really a lot of the issues that we're facing today as an industry, headwinds with tracking, with attribution, et cetera. Anyways, I hope you enjoy it. It is probably one of my better episodes, I would say, just based on team feedback. So I think you'll get a lot of value out of it. I'll see you on the other side. On today's episode of eCommentary, we are delighted to be joined by someone who you're going to be very, very happy to listen to. We have Brad Redding, CEO of Elevar. Now, if you've not heard of Elevar, Elevar is a tracking tool that promises 99% conversion accuracy, guaranteed. Brad, thank you so much for coming on the show. We're delighted to dive into this topic with you. Andy, likewise, thanks for having me. And yeah, excited to jump in and talk data. And before we get into it, I think I need to be completely upfront. I am not a tracking expert. When it comes to my abilities with tracking, I can install a Facebook Pixel or a Google Pixel. I can do a little bit of work with Tag Manager. But as soon as you throw in a data layer, that's me done. I don't know where to look. I don't know where to start. So I'm looking forward to learning so much. And hopefully, if I need you to boil it down a little bit for someone who's not so au fait with this area. I think there's nobody better to do that for me. So let's start at the very, very beginning. Like, Why does a tool like Elevar exist in this world of technology? Loaded question. Elevar did not start out on data collection and server-side tracking and getting in the world of cookie extension and all of that fun stuff. We actually started out as we would ingest data and automate data analysis. So the automating data analysis part relied on accurate data. So we would ingest Google Analytics data and we'd have a bunch of algorithms and try to really shorten that process of, okay, you want to spend 10 hours going through GA to extract insights, to know where you have problems on your site to go optimize. We want to shorten that to 10 seconds. What we found over the first couple of years when we launched that product was, okay, this is great. Insights are great, but the feedback we got from customers were, well, we know our core data is not accurate. So if our core data is not accurate, we know the insights aren't going to be accurate. So after learning that, we launched a separate standalone Shopify app. And this got into the Google Tag Manager World data layer app. And it was essentially, all right, we're going to launch a Shopify app that'll clean up all the data, automate that process. That way, when folks sign up and use Elevar, our core application, we know their data is clean and the insights will work the way we expect it to. So without going, you know, giving you a day-by-day breakdown that evolved over the years, last couple of years of, you know what, the most important problem that our customers have and that problem that they're frankly willing to pay for was around tracking accuracy. 
So once we continue to learn that, and as you know, if we just go back three, four, five years with iOS, with even prior to that with a Safari or WebKit ITP and a lot of the tracking and browser restrictions, once those started to, the velocity of those rollouts started to increase, it just made the concept of, I just need accurate data. I just need my tracking to work. It doesn't matter if it's Google Analytics or Facebook Pixel or Google Ads conversions. I just need it to work. And that process of, I just need it to work, it gets more and more complex. So it was really just working closely with marketers like yourself, brands directly, and just kind of like riding shotgun in their journey to building their brands. And we're kind of like sitting in the data analysis of, okay, where do you need the most help? Where's your pain point? Where can we fit in? And just continuing to go deeper and deeper in, in solving that problem. And it just almost seems like a really well-timed solution to a problem. If you sit in meeting rooms with marketers and boards, the conversation is recurring. It's about data accuracy. It's about trust in the data. And essentially what Elevar provides is the solution to that. You have a an ability to pass more, more data and pull in more information that you can actually rely on and you can base your decision-making on that. So the marketers know they're making the right calls in platform and then brand side or board side, they know that the, the numbers being reported actually reflect what's going on in the business. So it's perfectly timed. So let's kind of fast forward into how a tool like Elevar comes in. So we, most people will have heard of iOS 14 and the issues. So how does Elevar help with that issue? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think the big nuance with iOS, when that first came out, there was a lot of, I would say, fuzzy marketing from other B2B SaaS vendors of we can fix iOS and bring your Facebook account back to pre-iOS. And that's just not correct. Even Elevar can't do that. And it's primarily because there were probably weren't too many people that were reading the bullet points and footnotes and everything and all the Facebook docs when this came out of, okay, it really just comes down to your device data. So the I'm holding up the phone for those that are just listening. That's the biggest thing. We can't share device-specific data. We can share website activity data and potentially data associated with that customer that if they go through different processes, placing an order, signing up for emails, things like that. But the actual device data, that's where that big gap was encountered. And frankly, I think it illuminated how much Facebook and likely other apps, so think Snapchat, TikTok, et cetera, were really reliant on that data to help with their reporting and match back to users. So it likely was probably the best user, unique user identifier was a device. We all use our devices hundreds of times a day. And once that was gone, then there was a heavier reliance on, okay, now we need to rely on essentially anonymous website activity. So if you click on an ad and go to a site, if you don't do anything except go to a product page and maybe add to cart, you're essentially still anonymous. So Facebook Pixel and other providers will try to grab your IP and different information that is specific to your browser. So think uh, operating system, browser type, browser version, the size of your screen, things like that, and try to do their own fingerprinting. But at the end of the day, it's still, it's not 100% accurate. So that's where I think when Elevar came in at that point in time, a couple of years ago, within just the world of Shopify, well, actually the native integration at that point with Shopify did not have full server-side tracking available. So it was just the pixel, which then client-side runs in a browser at roughly 70, 80% accuracy. Server-side can get you 100% of conversions. 
to the different endpoint. So not only were brands that were just running on the Facebook pixel that did not have Cappy, they were already just limited by the 70 to 80% of data they're collecting because ad blockers and other things that were happening on top of iOS. But now they're essentially losing out on the device data that Facebook was reliant on for targeting, remarketing, reporting, et cetera. So that's where we just had to really hyper-focus on, we want to do two things. Number one, we want to send 100% of conversion data to any platform that you connect through Elevar. And number two, we want to ensure that every conversion, which could be an add to cart, it could be a purchase, every conversion contains a maximum amount of customer data, attribution data, product data, and order data. That way the platforms can operate as efficiently as they can, which could either mean better reporting, better targeting, or more efficient bid. Because part of the bid, like the actual bid formula, which I think you're obviously very keen on, is Facebook's ability to predict, okay, based on all the data we have from this brand, how likely is this ad going to trigger an action or a purchase from this particular user? So that's like the, I would say the general landscape and the iOS was, it's kind of like the, uh, I don't know, a Big Mac or think about like a cheeseburger where you're just stacking on more and more burgers on top. You have iOS and ad blockers and Safari WebKit and all these other tracking restrictions and headwinds that it really just made the job of marketers extremely difficult. And in response to everything that went on, Facebook and Google really started to push CAPI or server-side tracking. And I think that there's maybe a gap in people's knowledge in this area. So it would be great if you can kind of give an overview of actually what is server-side tracking or what CAPI means. And then I would also love for you to explain the difference. A lot of people, when they take the advice, oh, we need to implement server-side, they think, right, I go into Shopify, I click that Facebook app or the Google app, and then it's done, which in part is correct, but it's not maximizing the capabilities of server-side tracking. Could you go into that as well for us? Yeah. I'm going back a couple of years now, but in a conversation with our Facebook technical partner team, so our tech partner at Facebook, prior to them really pushing Cappy, essentially, quote unquote, what he explained to me was starting next year, pushing the conversion API is going to be one of the single biggest initiatives here at Facebook within probably the realm of their business and advertising unit, because we are seeing signal loss up to 30% for most of our advertisers. And that obviously means if there's signal loss, which translate that into Facebook's getting 30% less data, so 30% less purchases or page views, et cetera, from their advertisers, which means if the advertiser is looking at reporting in Facebook and all of a sudden their performance drops by 30% or potentially more, I'll try not to go too deep in the weeds there, but if you see a significant drop in performance and one of the obvious decisions that a marketer would make is, well, Facebook's not performing as well. So I'm going to take that budget from Facebook and I'm going to go distribute it in these other channels and try to test something else. So obviously Facebook was seeing that just in their, obviously the ad unit. So the signal loss, that is essentially, that was the result of client side tracking. So if you are a marketer or business owner or in the realm of e-com, if you've ever had to implement any sort of channel, so think a Facebook pixel, an affiliate tracker like Impact Radius or ShareSale or Rakuten, Google Ads or Bing, et cetera, you typically have either gotten a PDF that's like five pages of, 
hey, copy this piece of code, add it to your theme that liquid, make sure you put it at the top of the head because we want to make sure it fires on every page, et cetera, et cetera. Or you link to a page on their help docs. That is essentially client-side tracking. You are taking a piece of JavaScript code and you're putting it into your theme. So when somebody, when I load your website, that their code is executing and it's essentially setting a pixel or firing a request, capturing my data or activity, sending it back to Facebook. So this all happens in the context of, as a user, if I'm the user, the context of my browser. So there's a, a developer utility in all browsers. It's just called the developer console. And you can go to the network panel and it's kind of like if you just load, if you've ever done the site speed testing on Pingdom or yeah, I guess Pingdom or other similar sites where you just, you load in your site or Google page speed insights, probably everyone's done that. You put in your URL and you click run and you see all these things like starting to stack up and all these different requests that are going. It's kind of like a door. Think about a door that's opening your house and you have a bunch of people that are trying to run through the door all at once. So all those bunch of people that are trying to run through the door, which is your site loading, many of them are trackers, are JavaScript. And these are typically from third parties, Facebook, Google Ads, Google Analytics, et cetera. So with the client-side tracking, what's happened over time is you have ad blockers. So if you were to look at today's ad blocker or stats on ad blocker usage, there are certain countries like India and a few others where the percentage of ad blocker usage as an aggregate for the country is over 50%. So over 50% of people in India and some of their countries based on some research are using ad blockers, which means it blocks all of those requests that are trying to run through the browser. So an ad blocker is, I don't know, think about using Ghostery or Adblock or some other Chrome extension where their only job is essentially to stop those scripts from running. Then you have other countries like US and UK, et cetera, that are 30 in that 30 to 35% range. In any case, so if the only thing that existed were ad blockers, that's where that 30% comes from when Facebook said they're losing 30% of the signal. So 30% of people have ad blockers. That means out of 100 people that are trying to load your site, 30% aren't sending that data. So that's client-side tracking. You can add, you can compound that with, again, browsers that are blocking tracking by default, like Firefox, Secure Mode, Brave, and some of these other new browsers. Then you have Safari, where Safari is they're blocking certain trackers or limiting the cookie expiration date for certain trackers. So after 24 hours, if you come back to the site, you're essentially a new user. That is where this compounding effect and headwinds are happening with client-side tracking. So we'll serve, I'll flip over to server-side tracking. Server-side tracking will be a faster explanation. It's basically taking, all right, we have your Shopify admin. We're just going to connect your Shopify admin. So just think like a plug. We're going to connect the Shopify admin to your different channels. So Shopify admin is going to go to Facebook. It's like a direct plug. It's just like plugging in into your outlet. That's server-side tracking. It's outside the browser. There's a lot of nuance in that, but that's essentially what server-side tracking. So it, for lack of a better way of putting it, ad blockers and some of these other tracking preventions, they don't even have the opportunity to block that because it's, again, it's just happening in that direct connection from the server to the Facebook destination. So that's client-side versus server-side tracking. And then a lot of people will think that, oh, well, I've done that, Brad. I've clicked the button with Shopify and I'm connected now with Facebook or connected to other platforms. This is just scraping the surface, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. So let's talk Facebook and Google Ads. 
let's start with the easy ones. So the affiliate tracking or even like Outbrain or some dis- native display, these type of platforms, they really only care about conversions and they are going to associate a, so let's use someone who sells mattresses. So they sell mattresses, they have an affiliate network and an affiliate is going to have a blog post that's the best mattresses for 40 year old males. So when somebody Googles best mattresses for me and they land on that blog page and they click on, oh, I'm going to buy a Casper or Helix or whatever it might be, when they're clicking on that, that which redirects them to the Helix or Tough the Needle, et cetera, site, those are tips. That's an affiliate link. At that point there, if you were to look at the URL, the URL is going to have a query parameter. So think UTM, like UTM source, UTM medium, except for most of these trackers, if it's impact radius, it's the IR click ID. Facebook, you have the Facebook click ID. Google ads, you have the G click ID. So with impact radius, essentially the only thing they really care about is they want to know if someone that came to the site with that click ID, so click ID 123ABC, if that particular person, session, et cetera, placed an order, they just want to get that order sent to impact radius. So impact radius wants that order with the click ID associated to that order. That way they can pay the commission to the affiliate. So with server-side tracking, it's not just sending the order. So if we are just to look at orders inside of Shopify, if we just said, all right, hey, Impact, here's all the orders that we have, Impact wouldn't be able to do anything with those orders if those orders don't have the IR click ID, so the Impact Radius click ID associated to that order so they can match it back to the affiliate. So that's probably the most basic side of server-side tracking. And you can use email signups or add to carts, same sort of concept. It doesn't always have to be a purchase, but that is essentially, I would say, the most basic type of server-side tracking. The next level is when we start getting into Facebook, Google Ads, the TikToks of the world, where the channel is relying a lot more on, it's not really direct response from marketing. You're not expecting someone to see an ad and buy right away. You might have to nurture them, et cetera, remarket to. So where the Facebook type of tracking comes in, Facebook and Google, just use Facebook and Google ads. If you were to go to their own documentation of how to implement their tracking, what customer parameters to use in their server-side tracking, if they have server-side tracking, many don't, it's very different. So Facebook, Facebook has multiple, yes, you can send a, a page view event and if they view a product, you can send product information, but that won't really do any good for Facebook unless they have some sort of information that they can tie that activity on the site back to a user in their system. So typically Facebook has the external ID, which they define as it's essentially a unique customer identifier, but then they have these other parameters. So if we go back to the Facebook click ID, the Facebook click ID actually sets a cookie. So that sets the FBC. The Facebook script also automatically sets the FBP. So FBP and FBC cookies are two cookies. One is just a persona, a cookie identifier, and the second one is a essentially an ad click identifier. So if your integration is not sending those two parameters back to Facebook, then they are not operating at its full potential to try to match the activity back to a user. So I'll make a generic statement here. It probably would take too long to go through every single channel set up just within Shopify, but in general, many of the native integrations either built and supported by the channel or potentially by Shopify or by other third parties, they haven't spent the time to actually think through how to capture all of that 
information that you don't see, whether it's the cookie values, whether it's trying to extend the cookie expiration, other trying to blend other data and send it back to Facebook, et cetera. So if you were to implement a, again, a Facebook channel or a Google channel, and if you aren't sending external ID, FBP, FBC, potentially email, phone number, et cetera, and you only send maybe 60% of those, then Facebook is going to have a harder time matching that activity back to an ad, which then can obviously make the reporting, et cetera, function as normal. So that is where server-side tracking gets, I would say, the next level down in terms of complexity for server-side tracking and why some of these just point, add this app and launch it don't necessarily, quote unquote, entirely fix the problem. The next level down from there is where our lives are going to be significantly impacted even more the next couple of years. And this is privacy. So this in the United States, we have the CCPA and the CRPA, which is primarily California. And I think there's five or, five or six more states that have rolled that out and they're starting to enforce it. Obviously in Europe, you have GDPR. So now when you have server-side tracking, if you have that direct plug from Shopify to your channel, if you need to be compliant or a user has opted out, now you have to ensure that you are compliant with respecting that user's privacy wish. So that's where you're getting even more uh, complex with a server-side integration. So you essentially have to take an on-site behavior. So if someone sees a GDPR pop up and says, nope, decline all, essentially their behavior needs to attach to the event. So add to cart or a conversion event. And then either that event needs to be skipped and not sent to Facebook, Google ads, et cetera, or you need to set a flag to basically declare that particular action as a opted out user. So that's, I would say like the three layers of how deep and complex server-side tracking can get. Most apps don't integrate with that. And that last point with the consent preference, there's so many consent providers Again, they all have different implementations. They're all unique. So it's nearly impossible to expect every native app or channel or anything that's just exists in the app store to, for them to magically integrate with all of these consent providers because they're all different. It's almost impossible to maintain. It's quite a minefield to navigate for, for marketers because mm -hmm. marketers need to be so au fait with the latest updates within the platform and actually staying up to date with tracking is a full-time job. So that's where we start to see these analytics and tracking departments forming within yeah. agencies. And some of them are producing their own custom server-side integration product. But mm -hmm. what is the main benefit of using a tool, say, like Elevar over going down the custom route for brands? Yeah. If you look at segment IO as a good example of they're more of a customer data platform, but their value proposition over the years has been you implement segment once and then you can connect the data that segment collects. You can send it to all of your B2B SaaS tools. So if you are a B2B SaaS and you want to send data to Mixpanel and Amplitude and all these other and app queues and all these other B2B tools, you don't have to implement tracking for Mixpanel, Amplitude, app queues, et cetera. You just implement once. So it's the same value proposition for us Again, going back to my original point, listening to our customers, trying to solve their problems. The problem for so long was we're trying to launch this new channel. We're trying to launch Roku or whatever it is. Insert channel name here. Can we get this live by tomorrow? So that is a pain point. That is a problem. Like they're trying to get stuff done. I don't know if we can swear in this or not, but they're trying to GSD, like get a new channel and live. And the last thing a marketer or a brand owner needs to worry about is 
getting the pixel server-side tracking, like all the stuff I just mentioned, nobody wants to think about this stuff. They just want it live. So that, again, is where a focus for Elevar or, or other similar tools is the value proposition is, okay, you want to implement Roku or whatever it is. Okay, just you already have Elevar tracking on your site. Just go enable that destination. We already have pre-configured. We know exactly what data they need. Just enter your pixel ID, click go live, and we'll send that data for you. So the value prop for that specific example is significantly reducing the amount of time to go live with a new channel, but also ensuring that it's as accurate as possible versus having to, again, go through that five-page PDF and pick apart all the variables that they're looking for and go back and forth with 20 email conversations between the developer, the brand owner, the marketer, and testing and all that. And again, that's that's probably the biggest pain points that we're trying to solve for. And you've also developed a lot of systems in terms of updates and reporting on the accuracy of tracking. Can you just explain yeah. how that functions? Because I think that's something also, if you have your own custom solution, you kind of miss out a little bit on. Yeah, there should be no surprise. This was also essentially came from, I call this the Viore feature. So Viore has been a long time customer of ours and you might've done this yourself in the past, but even if a brand implemented Elevar, we set up all our tracking for them. For most, it can still feel like a black box. Like, I don't know, are you sure that it's accurate? Are you sure you're sending everything? So what we would end up getting are, we get these spreadsheets. So be think Google Sheet where you have one column with all of your channels. So Facebook, Google Analytics, Shopify, Snapchat, et cetera. And then in every column after that, it was page views, product views, add to carts, purchases. And there'd be a grid of why does Facebook have 500 purchases, but Shopify has 600 and Google Analytics has 550. It would be this, why isn't everything accurate? Why doesn't everything match? So, and we would get those emails and requests, rightfully so, all the time. Like, how can you prove essentially that Elevar is doing what you say it's doing? So we just built in our essential monitoring. So it's the, we show you inside your dashboard, it's called our channel accuracy. So you can see how many Shopify orders that you had, how many were sent and successfully received from a particular channel or by channel. And if it falls below a certain threshold, so if you want your threshold to be 99%, if it falls below that, then you get an email saying, hey, you said you're, you want your order accuracy or tracking accuracy to be 99%. We've detected in the last two hours that it's fallen below that. And there might be errors, et cetera. So that, again, going back to a very manual process that we would see our customers, marketers do, they start out their day, log into different platforms, pull the numbers, see if they match. It's a waste of time. We know it's a waste of time for everybody. So how can we automate that? And what can brands do with that data? So they get that report that there's a drop in accuracy. Like, what do they do from that? Yeah, I mean, if chances are, I mean, if you are using Elevar server-side tracking, like where it's the Elevar uh, hosted version, honestly, you shouldn't get a drop. But if you do, we'll essentially show the response. So with server-side integrations, Facebook or TikTok or whoever who's receiving the conversion event, if there's an error, they actually have to tell us. So it's part, it's built into an API where they essentially have to give you a thumbs up or thumbs down of, oh, thumbs down, there's an error, your CAPI token is not correct. So then we would show you have these errors, your accuracy has dropped because your token is incorrect. And then you can go, you know, generate a new token or update your pixel ID, whatever it might be. What do brands do with it? To answer the first part of that question, to be honest with you, most of the feedback that we get, typically it is a peace of mind. It just removes 
one worry of is my tracking broken or is it working the way my numbers are down from yesterday or last week? Maybe there's an issue with tracking. So it's trying to just add that peace of mind where, again, we can eliminate one of those factors that tracking isn't an issue. It's not, it's typically not data you're going to go in and look at every day and try to parse out. It's kind of like insurance monitoring. And it's one of those things that you monitor when it drops. And if, mm-hmm. for example, for a prolonged period, you don't have that conversion accuracy, then that's where you're like, okay, something's gone yeah. seriously wrong. We need to adjust. And what are the impacts of, say, losing that conversion accuracy for a brand's marketing efforts? Well, your lookalike audience pool is going to drop. You're likely the ability for a Facebook or other platform to continue showing your ads and ultimately trying to find you new customers, that's going to die. So if you've ever seen an ad where it's like fatigue or learning expired or whatever nomenclature they're using today, but essentially if Facebook doesn't have any data and other platforms operate the same, but if they don't have any data to determine if this ad or ad set's performing well or not, then they're just going to stop showing the ad because others are performing better. Again, it goes back to the part of the formula. One of the variables in a formula is the amount of event data they're getting as that predicting factor. So I think that's the easiest thing. If I've seen this firsthand many times where tracking does drop, it's typically one of two things will happen right away. One, just completely sales will go down immediately because your ad stops showing. Or two, your ads continue to show and your cost per conversion skyrockets. So that's typically in what we've seen in the past. Yeah. And it's like you said earlier in the show, the whole advertising platform was Google, Facebook, or TikTok. They were built on having an abundance of data points, millions, Mm -hmm. tens of millions. I couldn't even speculate how many data points they have. And that is what fuels the optimizations within that platform so that when you stop being able to provide those data points to the platform, it's almost not equipped to do its job. It's almost as if you stop putting petrol into the car's engine you know at some point it's going to stop functioning and this is where i think there's a big advantage for brands that maybe haven't fully committed to improving the tracking post ios 14 they maybe think that they have with some of the hacks or dipping into attribution tools but actually getting a really really solid server-side setup in their brand can rejuvenate their ad campaign performances so i think for me, people are always so happy to invest extra money in media spend by getting them to yep. commit budget to something that's going to exponentially, well, improve their performance potentially. They're always a little bit more hesitant. Why do you think that is? It's the black box. It's the the unknown. And to be honest, some of the native integrations have gotten better. The Shopify Facebook integration now I think Meta owns the upkeep of it and there's additional updates coming with the WebPixel API integration with Shopify. But if you look back over the last couple of years, that's certainly gotten significantly better. Listen, Elevar isn't right for every single Shopify brand, but there are certain characteristics of brands that does make someone like an Elevar a no-brainer. Those could be the easiest one and it's almost like 100% win rate is if a brand is selling across multiple countries, so they're not just a US-based brand, they're, they have different stores, different countries, locations, et cetera. We just know that works 10 out of 10 times, especially when you're using their payment, sorry, other checkouts. I'm going to get the payment methods next. 
So flow, global E, et cetera. And then the next complexity with payments across various countries is when you are going outside the standard Shopify checkout. So you have these offsite payment methods or you're going to like the banking type payment methods. Again, just those type of use cases, they completely out fall outside the purview of a native app and what data they're able to collect. So most of those conversions are missed and they're not sent just natively. And then you can get into subscriptions. So obviously there's still tens of thousands of merchants that are on recharge and the offsite recharge, checkout for subscriptions, upsell. So think about upsells, post-purchase upsells with rebuy and Zipify and Carthook and all of these. There's so many these nuances of, okay, do we want to send the main purchase or do we want to send it with the upsell conversion value? Do we send two purchases or an upsell purchase? So there's a lot of complexity there. If a brand is, I would say, a smaller brand that doesn't have as a sophisticated media buying team or growth team, the incremental increase that they would see out of using a tool like Elevar or others probably wouldn't be a whole lot because they're not really trying to hyper-optimize and, and grow if they don't fit in any of those other use cases. So there's certainly a time and place for it, but it's certainly not a silver bullet for every single brand, depending on what their unique setup is. I think that's such a refreshing thing to hear from a founder. You have your <laughs> target audience and yeah. that you're not trying to push it for everybody, but when the time is right, then it's certainly a tool that people should look towards, yeah. Brad. I think I've got to take my hat off to you for that one. And What's coming down the barrel in the world of attribution and tracking? So in the future, where do you see it going and how does Elevar move with that, if you can tell us? Yeah, there's a couple things I don't want to share too much. I mentioned one of them already, which it gets into there's going to be more headwinds, whether it's the GDPR headwinds or the browsers that are completely starting to fight back against you know the quote-unquote workarounds. For example... Years ago, we were the first company to release the server-side Google Tag Manager integration. We now have our Elevar server integration that doesn't have any dependency or requirement with Google Tag Manager. But one of the big benefits of Google Tag Manager server-side type was you can create a subdomain and then you can start routing data through your subdomain. Now the ad blockers or the tracking privacy enthusiasts, and it's not I don't mean to depict it's a good versus bad type of setup, but now there are mechanisms put in place that are essentially making, well, you can try to send data from your subdomain and rewrite cookies and do things to try to make your tracking better, but we're actually going to cut off. So now a subdomain doesn't matter, and that's really not going to work the way that it used to two years ago. So that workaround won't work. So it's this constant push and pull where there's new solutions to try to improve tracking, and then there's this, well, you move. It's like a chess. It's a chess game. So again, just try to put a bow on that one. I think just keeping up with the constant changes. I think the other one, which is, isn't is just an Elevar problem, but it's if we think about users coming back to a site, so the ability to recognize, like we have a phrase, how can anyone that's using Elevar, how can we always recognize a returning user? So throw everything out, every term, jargon, cookie expirations, throw all of it out the window. But if we simply ask the question, how can we ensure that any customer of ours, that anyone coming to their site, we can help them always recognize a returning user? If we can solve that, I think that is going to be one of the big things in the future as we continue down this tracking. So it's not just about sending 100% of, of data to these channels. I think that's going to be solved and buttoned up by us and, and others. But it's that's the second part that can help really improve personalization 
So if you think personalization or A-B testing or, or things like that, none of those tools will work if everyone coming back to the site is always considered a new user. So if you went to Viore yesterday and you're looking at, I don't know, a pair of shorts or whatever it might be, when you come back tomorrow, they want to personalize your experience. They want to show you recently viewed or you know, potentially save your cart or do things like that. If they can't recognize you as a returning user, you don't have recently viewed, you don't have potentially products that they're going to show to you. So that's going to hurt the ability for personalization to really ultimately help increase conversion rate. So I guess to button all it up, it's kind of like moving tracking from just a, we're just going to make sure your data is accurate to, we are going to make your data actually work for you and help you make more money. You'd mentioned the just attribution and potentially future of that. I think that's also going to be one when the future of conversion tracking and just server-side tracking, ensuring that everyone has visibility into how their channel is performing. Obviously you can use post-purchase surveys and other qualitative means, but that is a problem that's never going to go away you're always going to, again, want to have to or need that ability to just analyze channel performance. So that's also one, because if we sent 100% of orders to each channel, but they're all direct none, that means nothing to you. It's not going to help anybody. So again, with all these tracking restrictions, that's going to be a big one as well. Yeah. And I think that attribution is a whole other can of worms that yeah. I think people are fighting for the pie with this, but ultimately it's so difficult to pull it all together. And I think that there's a lot of people that are very smart that are working on a lot of very smart models, but they're models. And we always need to yeah. remember that perfect attribution doesn't exist because the user journey is never as straightforward as yeah. one touch point necessarily. Yeah. Brad, it's been such a pleasure to go down the world of tracking with you. <laughs> I feel smarter. So hopefully the people that have listened along have learned as much as I have, but you're also posting on LinkedIn yeah. every now and again and sharing some value. Is this the best place for people to find you? Yeah, LinkedIn's great. I have a conversion tracking playbook podcast. That whole podcast is all about this type of content, just tracking related and, and things around data. Again, going very niche, but yeah, LinkedIn, I'm typically the most active on LinkedIn. I do have Twitter, but I don't spend too much time there yet. No, it's always picking where the time gets spent, right? Yeah. LinkedIn to me is still, uh, it seems to be just pick one channel, just focus on that. Obviously a lot of professionals on there and a lot of good engagement and conversations and learning. And if people have liked what they've heard about Elevar and they want to explore a bit more, what's the best way for them to get in touch with your team? How do they find out about pricing and the services available? Yeah. You can visit us at getelevar.com. That's G-E-T-E-L-E-V as in Victor, A-R.com. You can find us on the Shopify app store or just shoot me a message, brad at getelevar.com or find me on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Andy. Appreciate it. Did you enjoy today's episode? If so, we release two new episodes per week. So be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else that you subscribe and listen to your podcasts. I also have a favor to ask. I'd really appreciate if you could leave a comment or a review so I can learn exactly how to improve future episodes for you. And last but not least, if you want to connect with me, find me on LinkedIn by searching Brad Redding at Elevar. That's E-L-E-V-A-R. Or you can DM me on Twitter. My handle is I am Brad Redding. I look forward to connecting with you. Thanks again.